Everyone who hears these words of mine, says Jesus, well, assuming that you might not remember them all, let me give you a quick cliff note version of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those, said Jesus, who don't waste their pain. Those who are poor in spirit, those who, are, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are merciful, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted, those who can take the challenges of life and let God shine through them so that you become, you people who don't waste your pain, you become the salt of the earth. You become the light of the world. And then based on that, we live differently. We look at rules differently. You've heard it said of old, said Jesus, but now I'm saying to you this new way about how to move beyond rules, how to move beyond anger, how to move beyond uh, questions of sexuality and divorce and how to make promises and seek revenge. In fact, it's going to get so extreme that we're going to be invited to love our enemies, love our enemies as we love ourselves. Well, he moves on to talk about how we should give money, how we should pray, how we should practice our faith so that we're not worried about money and what we eat or what we drink or what we wear, but rather we focus on God's dream for wholeness and trust and unity. So no more judging. Ask and seek and knock, and God will give you what you need. And then the apex of the sermon, where he says, Therefore, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is what it's all about. But that will be hard. For the gate is narrow. The road is hard. There are wolves out there who tried to devour you. But you shall know them by their fruits. Now that's a sermon. In fact, if Jesus were around today, I would suggest that he apply to be on this new reality show coming out this fall entitled, So You Think You Can Preach. (laughs) For some of us, there's just nothing like a good sermon. To rouse your heart, to titillate your mind, to nudge your emotions. Jesus does all of that so masterfully, so wisely, but he's not through. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Acts on them. Last week I told that rather violent children's story about Little Red Riding Hood. This week another children's story about Little Red Hen. You know the story about the Little Red Hen who finds some seeds and asks her friends, who will help me plant the seeds? Not I, barks the dog. Not I, meows the cat. Not I, quacks the duck. Then I will, says the hen. She plants the seeds. When the seeds come up, she asks her friends, Who will help me cut the wheat? Not I, they say. I will, she says. Who will help me mill the wheat? Not I, said the hen, or said the duck. Not I, said the dog. Not I, said the cat. Then I will, she said. Who will help me bake the bread? Not I, they all exclaim. But when the bread comes out of the oven and she asks, who will help me eat the bread? They all in unison say, I will. To which she responds, no, I will. Which is to say, talk is cheap. It's not just about the hearing of the word, 
talking about the word. You've got to put some skin in the game. You've got to do this thing. Last week we heard Jesus say that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons and do these deeds of power in your name? And Jesus said, I will have to say to them, I, I don't know you. You got lost somewhere. Not by me, but by you. You got off the path. You were well intended, but you were derailed. Like the farmer, Jesus tells about later, who's given by God this bumper crop. His harvest is so abundant that he realizes it won't all fit into his barns. What will he do? And in his mind, his vision, his only option is to say, well, I've got to keep this for myself. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. He's the kind of person that many churches would nominate to be a deacon. He must be wise for he's rich, they would say. But Jesus, who earlier said, don't call people fools, in this case has to say, you fool. We don't need bigger barns. We need bigger visions. We need bigger hearts. We need bigger seeing, bigger awareness that God's gift are, are meant for sharing. And we discover in this, in this invitation in the Sermon on the Mount to be part of something bigger than ourselves. To recognize that life is not all about me, but that I was born into this world to be part of life. That I was pa- called and even born to be part of something bigger than myself. That I'm invited to join my life in love. And so Jesus says, those who hear and act on my word are like the wise man who builds his house on rock, on something firm, something that has stability and, and sustenance to it. On the other hand, those who hear my word and don't act on it are like the fool. There again, that word, the fool who builds his house on the sand, which can shift and move easily. So I've been thinking this week about rocks and sand. And I will say that I am no geologist, but I recognize that sand and rocks are made from the same elements. They come from small particles of of dirt, of stardust, of fossils. But here's the difference. In sand, each one of those particles is an independent agent. It's free to come and go where where it chooses or where the wind blows. It's not connected to any other thing. It is so individualized that the wind and the water can move it to and fro. Compare that to the rock, which are those same little pieces, those same particles, but they're bound together. As a unit, they're part of something bigger. And so it's not easily moved when the wind and the rain and the flood come. And I assume you noticed that the wind and the rain and the flood come both to the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. All life, every life, has those challenges those heartaches and those heartache, heartbreaks which can bring us down. It all depends on what your life is built upon. The only difference 
is the binding. Which I want to suggest today is one way we can understand God. God is the binding that holds us together, lashes us together, and makes us who we really are. We are one. We are one. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we've got to love each other, be kind and tenderhearted and forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us. Why? Not just because those are the rules. It's because we're one. This holy binding God doesn't constrict us, doesn't pinch us, but gives us a home and a connection and a purpose to our lives. In that binding, Jesus' command, therefore, do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, it makes sense. You do that because we're one. We are connected. It's not a rule or an obligation. It's what we have in common. It's what we call community. And it connects us to each other and to God and to all of creation. Without the holy binding, without those things that connect us, without God, well, you're a free agent. You're free to go where the wind blows, where your ego takes you, where your fears take you, where your impulses take you. And you know as well as I, those aren't good places. This binding, this connectedness, it changes the equation. It's a radical re-envisioning about how we see and how we live. 100 years ago to this time, our country was joined with other countries in what they called the war to end all wars, known as World War I in retrospect. It was a horrible war. Poorly started, poorly, the, the reasons for it were spurious, but hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Cities were destroyed. Treasures were destroyed, but mostly human lives were destroyed. As Germany and England, as these two sides uh, waged war against each other. The, submach- su- the uh, machine gun had just been invented and it rendered all understandings of military strategy uh, antiquated. They developed a new plan called trench warfare, where they Soldiers would dig down into the ground and stake their claim and make their mark. And those lines between one side and the other hardly moved at all month after month as they entered into the winter months of 1914 in North Belgium, then called Flanders. They were so close together, these two sides, that they could actually hear each other and smell what the other side was cooking for dinner. It was, it was bizarre. But on Christmas Day in 1914, you probably heard the story about how a German soldier, deep in his trenches, tenderly held up a sign which said, You know fight, we know fight. The other side then saw a white flag come up out of the trenches. Then eventually, one person stood up just tenderly for a moment to see what would happen and then slunk back down and no shots were fired. 
And from first one trench and then the other, soldiers began to tentatively emerge and meet each other halfway on, in that no man's land. They began to show each other family pictures. Talk about things they had in common. Because before this war, there was a lot of movement between France and England. A German soldier asked one of the British soldiers to mail a letter for him to a a friend of his in Britain. Someone discovered that one of the German soldiers was a barber. And soon all the British soldiers were lined up to get their hair cut. Someone produced a soccer ball and soon a game ensued. On and on it went until someone noticed that a soldier had gone into the woods and brought back a Christmas tree and set it right in the middle of the no man's land. What, what was happening? These mortal enemies who were fighting to the death in that moment realized that there was a binding which was pulling them from their respective trenches for just a moment so that they could recognize their oneness. There was a foot soldier in the German army who was not happy. A young Adolf Hitler refused to come out of the trench. This is wrong and bad and evil. We have got to stay separate. We've got to know who our enemies are. And so said all of the generals on both sides of the war. There was a British lawyer named Bodkin who was charged with prosecuting conscientious objectors in Britain, who made this statement. War will be impossible if all men view war as wrong. Can I say that again? He was making an accusation. Well, war is going to be impossible if all men view war as wrong. Well, the conscientious objectors loved that quote and designed some posters attributing this quote to the lawyer Bodkin and began to hang them around Britain as a way to say, we don't need to be doing what we're doing. They were arrested for hanging these posters. And when they were, they said, well, we're not the ones that should be arrested. You should arrest Bodkin. These are his words. He needs to arrest himself, and if he does, we'll take care of his wife and children. Why? Because we know deep down that we're not enemies. We're brothers and sisters who have lost sight of the fact that in reality, we are one. And it is profoundly true that war is impossible if we built our lives on the rock. If we recognize that we're bound together, our view of war is going to be that it's wrong. It's wrong. This way of thinking is a radical re-envisioning of what it means to be human. It changes the equation of how we see and how we live from big issues like war all the way down to local issues like how are we church together. Let me give you an example. One of the things we love to do in our worship services here at Highland is welcome a new baby into our community of faith. The parents come with the baby We ask the parents, and then we ask the congregation, do you receive this child as God's gift? And you joyously say, we do. I ask you the question, will you do all that you can 
to enable this little child to be the, God, the, the man or woman that God would have him or her be. And you always say, we will. And I ask you, will you tell this child the story of Jesus and sing for this child the, the songs of faith? And you say, we will. Well, the truth of the matter is, we're looking for those who are called to tell our children the story of Jesus. From our babies to our children to our youth, right now we have real needs for you to step up. Not everyone is called to this specific work, but some of you are. It is high and holy work. It is as important as stopping wars for when we hold babies, when we teach children, when we guide, guide our youth, we're forming the world that we dream, we think God dreams of, the kingdom. We're doing this important work here and now. And we need to ask you to be part. I can already see the bubbles above your head as you're thinking your thoughts of resistance. I, I can't commit every week. I can't leave my Bible study class. I'm not really qualified. You know what? It's okay. You give us what you can. You come talk to Renee or Carol or Nina, and you tell them what you can give. And if you're not qualified, we'll teach you how to do this thing. I think of that great story Don Burke told me years ago. He's talking about this church evangelist who was preaching on hell one day. He was going on about, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. And someone raised their hand in the back row and said, what if we don't have teeth? The evangelist said, teeth will be provided. Listen, we'll give you what you need. You bring your heart of love. And these good pastors will help you and guide you. Because we believe it takes a church to raise a Christian. Someone to tell the story of Jesus, but not just tell it. To embody it. To be there with these kids. It binds us together. Because we know that no matter how darling they are, no matter how bright and precocious they are, there will be the day when the rain will fall and the wind will blow and the floods will rise in their life and they need to be bound into this way, this truth, this life, this hope. It is sacred love which transforms our individual sands of life into the rock of the church. You remember the time when Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, one of the prophets, Elijah, John the Baptist, Moses, they said, who do you say that I am? And in that moment, Simon Peter had an awakening. You are what we've been waiting for. You have what we're looking for. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Simon Peter in response, you are the rock. On this rock, on this binding togetherness, I will build my church. This binding element, this God, this love that won't let us go is the very message of Jesus. And the question for you and me today is will we hear the word and act on it? 
Will we believe it with our lives and not just with our heads and our mouths? Will we put this way into practice? For some of you, as you return to the classroom this week, both as teachers and as students, will you find yourself bound to this way? For some of you who will this week return to college or perhaps go for the first time, will you be bound to this community of faith in a unique way? For the rest of us, as we wrestle with the challenges of the day in and out of church, will we find this way to be sustaining and nurturing, something we can build our lives on? In the year 2015, our country has had to say goodbye to two significant public prophets. I'm talking, of course, of John Stewart and Stephen Colbert. <laughs> and actually, I'm serious. They were irreverent and often sophomoric, but no one was safe from their cri- criticism or safe from their exposing our hypocrisies and our smallness. I remember vividly the day Stephen Colbert was going through one of his shticks. In fact, I think this was the, uh, the word of the day. When Colbert concluded by saying, if this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, then either we need to pretend that Jesus was as selfish as we are, Or we need to acknowledge that he commanded us to love and serve the poor and needy without condition. And then just admit, we don't want to do it. We do want to do it. We're called to this. Everyone who hears these words and acts on them, here's the good and great news. Today you're hearing the word. Somewhere in your heart, you're hearing the word. And even in this moment, you and I have the opportunity to act on it. To say yes. To be bound together with other people of faith. So that as we walk out these doors and go our separate ways, there's a connection. God between us. Strengthening us. Giving us the capacity to build our lives on the rock. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's now be a community of faith. Let's be one as we turn to one another and say these words. May the peace of Christ be with you and also with you.